0: Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Better, Better Call Daddy, Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars.
1: Five and a half stars.
0: Papa. Okay. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy.
1: Yay. Hey, hey, hey. It's a phony baloney
0: and a tit for tatter.
1: Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public.
0: (laughs) Today's guest, Rob McGraw, is going to teach you how to not trip up before college. If you don't have a clue, he's going to tell you what to do. He's my Toastmaster mentor, an author, and a global talent leader. Rob McGraw, welcome. I just recruited somebody else for Toastmasters right before this. Are you kidding me? Yes. You're incredible. You're incredible. You're incredible. And I read your whole book.
2: Well, that only takes like an hour. It's only 30 pages, 37 pages.
0: It's longer if you read it mobily.
2: Okay. That's fair. That's fair. And I'm thinking about doing an audio version of it, which would only take you like 30 minutes to listen to. That might be fun. And you add that to the Amazon page, right?
0: I think you should.
2: Listen on it on the way to your, your drive to work. Right. Like, and could tell those stories with all the passion. I don't want to go like, like what, what's his name? The motivational speaker. I don't want to get, I don't want to get all too crazy. Like, and then you were thinking, Oh, college will be cheap. Right. I, I don't, I don't want to get super dramatic, but an audiobook could be good.
0: You could do two versions. You could do like calm version and you could do like, right. Alter ego.
2: Like this, this version read by Superman, right? Like, just crazy. That would fit
0: like your comedic track for Toastmasters, right? Like, could you check that off? Probably. It's got to
2: be a project somewhere.
0: Oh my goodness.
2: Yeah. So we'll see. I'm glad you read it.
0: Yeah. I really did think that there's some useful information in there and you did a lot of research. You, you put some numbers and facts and statistics in there that people should consider.
2: The data is not hard to come by. That's the surprising thing. It just takes a little bit of curiosity and diligence. And you could say, oh, mean time to graduation. Let me just Google that, right? GTS. Oh, 4.7 years. How about that, right? Mean time. And then you got to understand what mean means. You got to go back to like freshman year in high school. What is that? What is that? Oh, average. It's average. Okay. Fancy word for average. So it's going to take me five years, right? Because you can't go to 0.7 years of college. You have to go in the fifth year.
0: Yeah, so I fell into that mean because I didn't graduate in four years.
2: Most people don't.
0: It was four and a half, but I took summer school twice because I changed my major. There you go. Yeah, but I, without
2: the summer school, you're solidly at five, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah, and I didn't realize how common that was.
2: Super. Yeah that that's the big the big anchor number that I that I hope if if you remember only one thing from the book, right, what are you going to walk away with? don't budget for four years and then end up there for five with no way to pay for it, right? Like get real, be- better to finish in four and budget for five and woohoo, I got 40k extra. I didn't spend, right? It's a better place to be.
0: Yeah. I liked your tips too, for ways that you could think about paying for college or saving money <sighs> in attending, because luckily my first college was fully paid for. I got a scholarship for my first two years. And the second two and a half, call it three years, I was in state. So that made things cheaper. Yeah, that's a big and deal. And I worked. That's a big deal.
2: Having the perspective to think through what that debt will mean later, right? Just, just looking ahead a little bit and and doing simple math. There's apps on everyone's phones now, right? You could say, well, if I had 100K in debt, what does servicing that loan look like over that time period? Huh, that's like 500 bucks a month. That's a lot. It doesn't seem like much when you're borrowing it, but when you're paying it back, oh, it's heavy, 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 heavy. So all those strategies, right? Like Jennifer, my wife worked as a janitor at the college, and that was, you know, compared to what they would pay you if you were just a janitor, what they gave you in terms of value versus your tuition, humongous, humongous. It was equivalent of like fifty dollars an hour to be a janitor, right? Be a janitor, get two classes for free. Are you kidding me? A big, big delta there. Because the college has margin on that, right? It's, they can give away the margin on tuition for a greater value than they could pay somebody outside to be a janitor. You got to exploit the, the opportunities that are available to you in that way, right? Think about it and work a, you don't have to work like a crazy person, but maybe don't sleep until 10 a.m. every day and work a few hours a day and go to school a few hours a day and do homework. That's a full day. Yeah,
0: yeah I've worked all through college. So that totally makes sense to me. And the community college route, I actually think I'm a proponent of that because my first college was like essentially a community college experience where after two years, I was like, okay, the school is honestly easier than my high school. I think it's time to transfer. I got a 4.0 and all I had to do was show up drunk to copy the stuff off the board.
2: Right. It, it definitely depends on the person and on the program, right? What exactly are you doing? Because freshman year in engineering at U of I, whole different deal right?
0: Oh, deal. totally. When I <laughs> transferred to Purdue, it was like a complete rude awakening. I went from <laughs> straight A's to my first C in organic chemistry. Yeah, that yeah, is for, true. For a
2: lot of kids, for all of many different reasons, community college could be, it's not just about the cost, but the right, the right step forward in, in your independence in bridging that gap between the structure of high school to the empowerment of post-secondary education, Right because you then have to discipline yourself to go. You're not there at college all day. You got one class at 8 a.m. You got another one at 3 p.m. What are you going to do with the rest of the day? Can't just go get drunk. You're going to miss your 3 p.m. class, right? So it takes a certain amount of commitment and discipline. And for a lot of kids, that's hard. And for them, community college can be really the cheap way to learn those lessons.
0: I totally agree. I think one thing that going to a small school enabled me to do was learn how to go to the teacher for help.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Ask for help. What do office hours mean, right? That's a new concept. Book some time, talk to your teacher, get the help you need, find a tutor. A lot of times we don't realize we need that until the content gets a little harder. You have space in your day when you're at college to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a whole different experience. That's a yeah way to dip your toe in the pool without jumping right in the deep end.
0: Another part of your book, which I love, is that you figured out how to get an undergraduate degree and another degree completely from the military.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Both my degrees were paid for by the state of Illinois. And then the profit that I made, roughly $36,000, was from the Montgomery GI bill which is from the US military. It's it's known about as by name, right? The GI bill, people know about it in that regard, but they don't really understand like the mechanics, the reality of it. When you're in the military, if you forget if it's opt in or if it's opt out, but it's definitely strongly encouraged. You commit $100 for each of the 12 months that you're in the military. So total investment Twelve hundred dollars, and when you get out, you can use it to pay for trade schools. Any any common trade, you could use it to get a pilot's license and become a pilot. You could use it for any kind of like formal certification, including proper college schooling. Right, those kinds of things. But you could also learn to be a welder or a plumber. So then the question is, you put your twelve hundred in, what do you get out of it? Well, it changes every year. I got roughly thirty six thousand dollars out of it. That's big. how did
0: you know to do that?
2: That was the plan going into the military. That's how I ended up in the military was I needed money for college. Now, I got lucky that I enlisted from Illinois. Illinois has the Illinois Veterans Grant, which is actually what paid the tuition for college. So that's how I got the two degrees for free. But the GI Bill pays you on top of that to help cover your living expenses to enable you to go to college. So Illinois and Texas are the only two states that I'm aware of that have that kind of veterans grant program that covers the cost of tuition.
0: Yeah, that's super helpful. And another thing you mentioned in your book was like the amount of scholarship dollars that aren't used a year. How come more people don't know about that? Like where are all these scholarships hiding?
2: They're so hard to find. That's the barrier to most people. And they get written in such a narrow way that you, you're you definitely hunting for a needle in a haystack, right? So you're like, oh, there's a thousand scholarships. And you'll go combing through them. You're like, oh, it's only for people who are missing their left big toe. Like, what? How many people are eligible for that? So a lot of them are really obscure qualification standards. So you really have to root through all that. It's a big sifting exercise and they vary so much in value and then demand follows value, right? So you'll find that one that doesn't have that that obscure of a bar to get to, okay, and it's $10,000. Well, you can bet there will be thousands of applicants for that one. So, it's often a way better strategy to find the more obscure one for lower value and apply to all of those. And you could win like five, 10, 15 of those, right? So, 15 times $1,000 is 15 grand. That's no joke. You're like, what can I do to my toe? Right. I'm not saying cut off a toe, but that's just a funny, you know, way to talk about it. But you'll see the obscure stuff if you go hunting for, you know, to, from this small town in this, like like Butte, Montana, right? The scholarship is for somebody who graduated salutatorian from any high school in Butte, Montana. And you're like, salute second place, not valedictorian, second Butte, Montana, what's the population there? 40,000 in the whole city? I mean, so someone from there will get that scholarship, but just they're obscure.
0: You're like, I hope that salutatorian knows about
2: that scholarship.
0: Like maybe I should contact them and for the finder's fee, I can get a piece.
2: At least 10%, right? Come on.
0: Seriously, do you call the college and be like, what scholarships do you know about? Or you just search the net?
2: That's a really good question. They're not managed by the college. The college is the customer. They, they just want the money. So you would think it would be in their interest to say, hey, you match up to this, go here, we'll get you this scholarship and to cover your, right? It would be an incentive, but it actually doesn't work that way. Most scholarships are managed by a variety of different private entities, right? So estates or different funds or individual people. And that nature, that variety in funding, there's no aggregator like good holistic aggregator. It's really a hunt. It's a it's a terrible, terrible hunt. And the the terrible part about it is so much of it goes unclaimed.
0: Yeah, I think someone needs to create an aggregator. All the colleges could use that and really help more kids maybe get there.
2: Yeah, yeah. If you could defer ten, fifteen thousand a year of your collegiate tuition, right? That's not all the tuition at most schools, but Boy, that makes a difference in the long run.
0: Not only that, but then they'd have to make like less phone calls from the alumni office asking for more dough because they'd be receiving scholarship funds. Yeah. The other
2: kind of funny thing is people aren't really great at sports. Don't always think that they could get a sports scholarship, right? They think you have to be like the all-star. Well, that's kind of the other the other really interesting thing. If you go to a school that is in a small division, but has the team for the sport that you're in, right? Like Knox College in Illinois, baseball team. They're a small school. They're a, a liberal arts school with, with a chemistry and science program, right? They're not a powerhouse baseball team, but they have been good, right? They have been good. So smart people who want to play baseball go there. So smart people can get scholarships for academics and... If you can play second base, bolt that on for a few thousand dollars a year, right? Like put together a whole puzzle and how you're going to fund your collegiate education.
0: That's really genius. And I kind of experienced that because I went to a youth performing arts school amongst very talented singers, which some of them got into Juilliard. Some of them made it to Broadway and I got the offers from the smaller schools. But yeah, I got a full ride to a small college. Right, And I felt great about it. Right. (laughs) I was like, oh, I got an offer. I'll take that. Yes. So
2: that little talent that you have and you didn't think it would be really worth much. You're like, oh, I'll never make it as a singer. Well, do you need to make it as a singer or do you just need to leverage that to pay for school? Right. I was
0: like division two. That sounds great.
2: Yeah. It's so crazy how, how, if the more you know about the system, the better equipped you are to find, you know, the solutions that fit you best. It takes work to find the fit for you. And everyone's puzzle is individual, right? It You, you had the singing, other people play sports. The, everyone is a different person. So the solution is really a custom fit kind of quilt that you need to put together for yourself to get you through college.
0: You know what else is interesting? There was a synagogue in town that needed people to sing once a week in the choir. And they gave me a small amount too. I was like, I'm happy to sing there once a week also. Like- and teach Sunday school if you're looking for somebody. So I did both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> like for two years. Sure. But yeah, there's a little bit of money here and there.
2: Yeah. Nickels add up. It's a it's hundred bucks here and 500 there. And every once in a while, a couple thousand. Right. And and it it's amazing how much all that little money can add up. It makes big dollars.
0: I want to ask you, I don't know if you got a chance to see that email that I sent you earlier, but my husband had a question for you, so I want to throw him into the mix here. He wants to know, how do you create career growth paths to keep employees engaged and retain employees? He thinks you know this.
2: Career growth paths? What's your philosophy? It's so different for every person. What drives every person is so different. To be good at that as a leader, right? So let's take a first person perspective. Asking people about what their ambition is, that will underlie how hard they're willing to work. Asking them what their interest is, getting a sense of their intellect, that tells you whether or not it could really be a credible path or it just should be a hobby, right? So if I told you I wanted to be a singer, negative, not happening, not my jam. So interest doesn't just drive it also, you know, competency and aptitude. So coming to know a person like that, their ambition sets how steep that learning curve is, how fast they want to go, and definitely get them to break it down to, all right, you want to be the VP of something someday. That's a long-term vision. We need to chop this thing into smaller milestones. What experiences do you think that person had to have to get that job? And and back that all the way down, keep doing that facilitation till you get back to well, what's the thing you could do tomorrow that would be the first step on that path, right? What's the more immediate right now thing? Well, I need to take this course in operations. All right. How can you do that? And just gently, facilitatively push them forward and help them grow. But they map the path for themselves, right? They started with the big dream, broke it into milestones. You backed them all the way down to today. And then you get them planning on how they'll take each step of that journey because it is a long journey. I think that goes life. back to
0: what you were saying prior to this, even like you knew that you were joining the military because you wanted your college paid for. You mapped that journey in some way. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm, I'm quite planful and I have high commitment and, and and follow through when it really matters, right? The really big things in life, that some of that's character, right? Not everyone has that that same kind of character attributes, but a lot, of, a lot of people can do it if they took the time. Let's say maybe they maybe they cared about themselves enough to take the time, right? Love yourself, invest in yourself. You owe it to yourself to go get the scholarship, to make the right decision, to go through the 12 lives, right? Major in the thing that really matters. Understand it's going to take you a PhD if you major in certain things, right? Like make, make an informed choice. You owe that to yourself, right? When did you figure that out? probably early on in my professional world after the military. So after I went to college and then I saw like in my late twenties, all my friends living, servicing their debt, Mm. right? So they took the traditional path, came out of college, 60 to hundred thousand in debt, had a baby in their late twenties. Now they have a child. Now they're trying to have a family. Now they have this $500 a month payment, right? And they can't afford a car, right? And they're, they're, life is hard, hard when you have that extra $500 note. So that's when it started to kind of hit me in my mind. And then I, I just got to know people around me. And I started asking them, well, you work in HR, what's your degree in? Oh, I have a BS in psychology. Well, w- what's your degree in HR generalist? I have a speech communications BA. So I said, does anyone have a degree in HR here? no. Then I started looking around and asking people who worked in different jobs, what do you have your education in? You got people like my mom who have no college degree. She's pretty high up at Wendy's. Then you got people like my brother-in-law who has a degree in acoustic engineering, but works as a computer programmer. Then I said, well, how, what percent of people work outside their degree, right? <laughs> Does your degree really matter? So I started to just put this puzzle together. I got curious, right? And as I learn these things, that's, well, that's a different chapter. Well, that's a different chapter. Well, here's another lie. Oh, my. Oh, another one. Oh, how about that? And it just kept going. It's a snowball.
0: Yeah, that is really interesting. If you had to do it all over again, would you have chosen the same degree or would you even get one? Good question.
2: I probably would have still gotten one, but I probably would have chosen differently. At this point in my life, I feel like I would have been better served in the medical industry. So either as a surgeon, or as a biomechanical engineer.
0: Interesting. How come? Yeah. Well, it's, it's the
2: technical aptitude and the complete comfort with blood and guts doesn't bother me. And then my values driver is service to others and helping people, right? Growing people, supporting people. So it put all that together, right? In the training world, that's why I get a certain amount of satisfaction The greatest application of all those things together, I think, is in those two disciplines.
0: Do you study anything in those disciplines now just to fulfill that interest?
2: I think if you were to talk to any of my doctors, they would tell you I'm probably their most informed and challenging patient. Yes, absolutely. It's not unusual for me to quote the Lancet or the Journal of the American Medical Association. It's not unusual for me to know drug classifications and what they mean legally. It's not unusual for me to watch surgery videos on YouTube, like hip replacement, elbow replacement. It's fantastically informative.
0: I don't think I've ever done that. No? Never. Oh, they're on there. Oh, I'm sure they are. But I did watch a childbirth video before I was going to do that. I don't recommend that actually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you did mention too, your brother-in-law- in the book, I, I related to that story of him majoring in music engineering and then completely teaching him something totally separate of web development on the side and then missing yeah. music. Does he do music as a hobby?
2: Yeah. Yeah, he does. Vary, varying degrees over time, right? So he has four children now and his oldest daughter is very into piano. So they spend a lot of time together playing piano and and learning in that way so he's become more of a teacher than than a stage performer uh, in the past 10 years or so we go back to 10 years ago he and I and a few other people were in a live performance hip-hop group a full band
0: wait what You were in a hip-hop group? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got to know about this.
2: Yeah, so it was was called Tracksuit, and we did covers of classic to modern hip-hop and rap music, and it was three male vocalists and one woman, Nikki, and then we had bass, rhythm guitar, keyboards, and a drum kit behind us, and Billy was our drummer. And a digital drum kit, you can key up whatever drum you need. Not everything's an 808, right? So we just program the drum kit to be the right, all the right sounds for all the right songs, program the keyboard the same, rhythm section, right? The bass fills in and then a little bit of rhythm guitar to play, you know, background rhythm guitar. So yeah, we did a lot of Beastie Boys, Run DMC, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Tribe Called Quest, Tag Team, you know, that kind of. The party side of, of hip-hop music. It was all about people singing along or people dancing in front of the stage.
0: Oh my God, that is so cool. How long ago is this?
2: About 10 years.
0: And you performed out in Chicago? Oh yeah. Oh my God, that is so cool. You need to write a speech about that, have you? <laughs> I cannot picture this. That is so great.
2: And I still have my uh, Shelto Adidas in my closet, and it's yes. it, it was a thing. I still have the hats. We had costumes, and it was a thing. It was fun. How
0: did this happen?
2: Well, he's the drummer, right? So he's the anchor of the band. Musicians have other friends who are musicians and teachers have other friends who are teachers. And it's kind of who knows who. Hey, we need somebody who does this. I know a guy. Hey, we need a female vocalist. Well, how about Nikki? Hey, we need this. Well, we should audition for MCs. Okay, we have auditions for MCs. People make it. They become friends. And then uh, you dedicate Sunday evenings to rehearsal. Sunday for about three hours every week. You go and you practice and you work on your songs and you
0: arrange your transitions so you have a show and it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Do you miss it? Yeah. You have worked on yourself in so many ways, like really challenged yourself (laughs) to do some crazy things. (laughs) That's kind of my nature. Yeah. I mean, have you been like that since you were a kid? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm I'm a hungry learner and pretty adventurous.
0: Did your parents encourage this in you?
2: In some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. You know, encourage would give it a kind of a positive push kind of vibe. Tolerate to an extent. That's a better way to say it.
0: Okay. This is like maybe going to be buzzkill, but I want to bring it up because you said that you did a speech on attachment disorder. And I read a little bit about that and people that have attachment disorder, they don't have that, the adventurous side, or maybe they they are seeking like outside validation. Right. Do you think you were seeking outside validation for trying all of these things and for being adventurous?
2: I think early on the hunger for belonging resulted in, let's call it adventurous behavior, right? Mm. Belonging to all kind of clubs in school and traveling baseball teams and like whatever I could get involved in to fill those kinds of holes. So yeah, it's part of it and then you get comfortable being adventurous and you learn to like it. So then even when you learn to deal and heal, you can then continue to embrace the adventurous part of yourself now in a healthier way.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. Where were your parents lacking? Like, what were you not getting that made you feel that way?
2: No, no, not a, not a like a clinical psychologist, right? So it's, it's, it's hard to put your finger on. But the, the general characterization for the origins of attachment disorder are people who don't feel valued and loved by the most important people in their lives, which is typically their parents at certain really young ages. It's something in that category. It's it's hard. I, I don't remember what was happening when I was one and two and three years old, right? I, I don't know. But you think uh, it
0: happens that young. So it can't be like, young. okay. Interesting.
2: I think it it can persist, but this again is where you probably need a clinician. You you need somebody who's like a, a developmental psychologist to really dig into that really deeply. But
0: how did you discover that you had that?
2: Well, I it's that I think I have that, right? Or that you think or that you I have that. I, all this distance and and conflict that I kept bumping into and I do some of my best thinking within moments of conflict, right? Cause it gives me focus. It was just, I was in the middle of yelling about something and I just had this epiphany that all of this content fits together. It's all the same content. It's the same narratives. It's the same thought patterns. They look different on the outside, but they're really all the same baseline thing and there I have to find that commonality I have to find whatever that thing is and that's when the research began and then that's what it led to
0: yeah tell me what you discovered in your research like what did you look up
2: what you look up like you can just search for attachment you can search for problems with attachment you can search for people who struggle with vulnerability or really committing to relationships. It's a really amorphous kind of space, right? It's not its not like dictionary definitions that you just Google and it tells you the definition of a word. So you're on a journey and you're just clicking through and finding links to links to links within a realm, stumble right forehead first, right into the thing that really rings and that you connect with. And you so stumbled that, into that? Yeah, that kind of journey, that kind of loosely directed, just curious mind
0: clicking away. I do not see you as someone who struggles with vulnerability. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Do you feel like yeah. that is true for you?
2: Well, I think there's a different me now than when I was, you know, call it 18 to 30. I am definitely aging and becoming Kindler, gentler, softer, more vulnerable. I'm a much nicer person in my forties than I was in my twenties.
0: Fair enough. Me too. And how has that affected your servant leadership style?
2: I think now it impacts my servant leadership style because I'm really present and authentic when I'm being that servant leader to my people, right? So it is truly about them. Whereas before it might've been about them, but not really. So now there's an authenticity to it. Like you might outgrow me someday and that's fine. What do you want to be? How do I help you get there? Even if that's not with this company in this position, okay, you want to become a nurse. How do I help you get there? Just being really honest and present and keeping that focus right where it belongs in an authentic way. That's where I think it goes to in terms of being a leader.
0: Do you feel like that's brought more meaning to your life? Probably. Yeah, that's probably true. I'm curious too. like some of your successes, like I feel like I mean, you're a mentor to me, you've helped me in my Toastmasters journey. And even in this conversation, I feel like you're mentoring me, like, how do you make time for that, make that a priority? I I guess you're probably doing that in your job, because that's kind of your job title as well.
2: It's the easiest thing for me to do, because it is literally who I am and what my values are, right? It is what makes me happy is helping other people. I get fulfillment out of seeing other people succeed, perform, grow, develop, accomplish. I should just wear a Scottie Pippen jersey, right? This is, this is the deal. I, I don't need to be Michael Jordan. I get more fulfillment out of being Scottie Pippen and that's fine, right? So if that is where you get your joy, why would you not mentor people? Because that's a win-win, every time it's a win-win.
0: I feel like HR kind of gets a bad rap because I haven't seen so much mentorship through HR departments that, you know, were in the companies that I've been in.
2: Well, you got to also remember that HR is not made up of degreed HR people. It's mostly people with speech comm degrees and, and bachelor's degrees in psychology. It it's unfortunately also where the worst companies among us put people to manage their appearance or meet some kind of kind of demographic goal, if we can call it that, right? So you see far too, too much of that. That's not to say that everyone in seats in HR isn't competent because there's lots of competent HR people, but in the worst of companies, you will often find not very competent HR
0: people. And lack of mentorship. Definitely. What is your vision for HR? It could be the company's mission even.
2: Well, on the, on the biggest scale, who should HR be? You know, philosophically speaking in the marketplace, a full-on competent strategic partner with the business. And it's not just keeping people from harassing each other, right? That's that's not what HR does. but The full spectrum deliverable of we maintain the company brand. It includes our benefits package. Includes who we are from a payroll and compensation perspective, from a talent development perspective, we maintain the company's values, we make sure there's recognition, rewards, right, all this kind of stuff. And we make sure that we're bringing on the right talent, that's the acquisition side, to maintain and further promote that culture right? So if HR is good at their job and they help with change management and and they help with all those other things I mentioned, org design, right? That's something that HR should be expert in. Problem is not many HR people are expert in those things or even competent in those things. How can
0: you solve for that? Well, I'm a believer
2: in education and certification. I would say more HR people need to go get the appropriate SHRM qualification if they don't have the education. In the talent development realm, talent management, I would recommend the ATD certifications for that. There are others you could go get, but go get the education and make yourself valuable. That's how you will get respect at work, right? When you deliver value to those around you, you get respect.
0: I'm also curious around your thoughts about people having a personal brand outside of the organization. Do you think that there's anything wrong with that? No, I don't I don't think there's
2: anything wrong with that. I think you have a personal brand within the organization as well. What we you got to watch out for is when the two collide, right? If they're very very different. In today's world, you know, we we carry social brands. We we carry uh personal brands in multiple spaces across social media, so yeah, it's it's we're well short. I don't know if you watch the show Black Mirror.
0: I have seen a few episodes of that, yeah.
2: Yeah, there's an episode called Nosedive. They take this personal branding to the nth degree, whereby your status in society and what you're allowed to do is based on your star rating. So the rich, beautiful people are the only people allowed into certain places. The moral of that story is the happiest people are the people with the lowest ratings.
0: That would make sense. Yeah, we we could talk
2: all night about, about the impact of social media and personal branding in that realm, but that's a whole
0: different thing. I just feel like I like when I see somebody who's active and they happen to be an engineer at a large company, I'm like, oh, wow, that company is cool for letting that guy during his work day be able to post something about mental health. Where does he work? But I have worked places that do not want you to post during work hours. And I have seen employees say, I am posting this after work hours, just for my employer to know, or I have blocked my employer from being able to follow me on social media.
2: Right. The whole world doesn't understand or appreciate social media in the same way, right? There's definitely, definitely plenty of variety (laughs) in terms of understanding and appreciation for for social media. And that's not to say that, you know, teenagers understand it either, right?
0: Yeah, I, it's actually scary. I am concerned about letting my daughter, who's almost 11, get on TikTok. I'm like, keep all of that in a draft. And, and I worry about her entering middle school and high school right. and about bullying and about judgment and about weird men that could try to hit on her. I worry about right. so much. Right. We didn't have to worry about that. <laughs>
2: Nope, we just had regular predators.
0: (laughs) I would like your opinion on, do you think that C-level executives should have a podcast, should have a personal brand, should be commenting on articles, should be present on LinkedIn, should be present on social media, should be connected with other leaders within the organization on social media? I mean, who has time for that, but should they have time for that?
2: That so depends on, on the company and the individual. It would be a it would be a very hard thing to promote and compel, right? Because unless you're practiced and you're savvy, you have no business with with a Twitter handle representing the company, right? There's when when you become an officer of a company and you have signing authority, legal signing authority, you speak for the company. That's a whole different deal. It's a whole different deal. And I would think if you were going to compel that. I would just hire a PR firm to manage my
0: Twitter handle. Yeah, that's probably pretty smart, actually. Yeah, that's interesting. If it's not your strength, then hire somebody who can market you well, because you can be judged by that. It's
2: not worth the risk. Comes with substantial risk. And what are you gambling if you're in that C-suite job? You're gambling your whole career. And that's a big, big deal. That's a big bet for a little return.
0: Yeah, probably not worth it.
2: So they just stay away.
0: I'm like thinking back to like what I want to highlight from this episode. I know we started off and we were talking about what kids need to think about when they're entering college. I think it's interesting that you wrote a book about that. And also you work in HR because both of those are around like major life choices. Yeah. What would you say are like the top three things that you think you should think about before going to college other than just the cost?
2: Number one has to be, what am I going to study, major or program? That's got to be right near the top. And number two has to be like the practical implications of it. If I could group them as a category, where do I go and how much does it cost and how am I going to pay for it? Right. And that's really two things together. That's the two biggest decisions relative to college.
0: Did you take like assessments or anything like before you went to college? When did that all start?
2: yeah I've, I've been taking assessments my, my whole life. Career and interest inventory said I should be an engineer. That lined up. I don't know motivational values and preferences inventory from Hogan. That doesn't say engineer, but it does it does say that I belong in like the hard science and engineering world more than I belong in the softer, kind of more interpersonal world. So I guess h r in tech and engineering companies is probably the best fit
0: so you're you're doing that,
2: yeah, that's yeah, pretty that's awesome. I'm comfortable doing that, right
0: What's the big dream now? What is something that you'd still like to accomplish?
2: Well, the dreams are almost all adventure, right so so big dreams is like I need to check off the seventh continent, I need to get to Antarctica
0: on a motorcycle
2: no, that would that's by ship, that's a flight, and then you go by ship,
0: okay so.
2: <laughs> For, for motorcycles, the big dream is Newfoundland. That's cool. That's, that's 14 to 17 days to get there. It involves taking your motorcycle on a ferry. It's, it's, quite, it's quite a trip. That's a two-person trip just to be safe. That's the dream on the motorcycle. One of the dreams on the motorcycle.
0: When you decide to take trips like these crazy long adventures, what does that entail first?
2: Well, the the practical implications drive most of the timeline decisions, right? So the ferry schedule to Newfoundland only runs when there's no ice. So there's a last ferry out in September, and there's a first ferry on the way to Newfoundland. I think it's late March or April. So you're going to do that trip between those times. And the longer the trip, the more complex, treacherous the trip is, the more planful you have to be because you need more contingencies.
0: I wonder if my dad's ever done anything insane like that. Probably not. Tell me about how vastly different you and your dad are.
2: If I'm the super energetic, type A, you know, intellectual, adventurous person, right? That That's how I categorize myself. My dad is... Kind of the compliant, supportive kind of historian. So if I'm about the future, he's about history.
0: Interesting.
2: And he's warm and friendly and more relaxed. And he would rather coach the baseball team than hit cleanup. I, I'd rather hit cleanup. I will coach the baseball team. It's just my priorities are a little different than his. So he finds. Why haven't me- you asked him? What haven't I asked him? That that's really. <laughs> <interesting>. <laughs> Is that too hard? <laughs> It's infinite data set, right? I mean, there's there's tons of stuff I haven't asked him. And I'm not sure I want to know most of those answers.
0: <laughs> Rob, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Let people know how they can buy your book, join your Toastmasters group, anything you'd like to promote.
2: Outstanding. Well, please visit Amazon and search for 12 Lies About College. It's available on both Kindle and print-on-demand form. It's quick read. 37 pages. It'll take most people less than an hour. I promise you the value you will get out of it well exceeds what it costs. So please help your child in your life. Help yourself if you are the aspiring college student, right? Help the child who lives next door, who's trying to make that critical decision. Quick, quick read. Easy, easy way to help them. And that's all I got. Excellent. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure.
0: Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. All right, what did you think of my Toastmaster mentor, Rob McGraw?
1: Well, I think that he definitely wants to live life to the fullest, would like to take exciting, daring trips all around the world. Sounds like something that we should all want to uh, put on our bucket list.
0: Yeah, I think that he is an incredible leader because of that. I mean, he really puts himself in all different kinds of situations.
1: Well, that means that he wants to show that he has the energy and the willpower to achieve and do anything. And that is the ingredient for life itself, to be able to go for it, to go for that brass ring or to reach for the stars. There's many different ways to, or terminology that you can use to say the same thing. I do like the idea that a lot of kids that are going to college have no clue about the variables of what they're going for, what they're going to study, what the costs are, what are the plus and minuses that have to be weighed. And to have a, some insight or a guide to some of those terms, I think is a very useful tool for most of us, which save us the hassle of really, and the frustration of having to figure it out.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a cool idea, the book that he came up with, to try to give kids an idea on what to do when they have no clue.
1: And I think that what a lot of kids do by not really having a plan, they go to college, is that they learn the hard way a lot of these frustrations, and it's easy for them then to trip all over themselves and not really be fully prepared. And you'd be surprised how many people don't make it past the first semester or the or by the second semester and they're out of there and they're off having to do something else with their lives and found out that that college experience was not necessarily anything that they really anticipated and not even sure if in some cases was really a bummer.
0: You know, uh, I transferred and I switched majors and I had to figure things out. But you're not alone. Most of us.
1: Go through that. but I think that you said something that was also very useful is that a lot of kids they're better off even looking at a junior college first for a year or two before they even go to a major college because they're just not ready. A lot of uh, kids come out of high school and they're just not really ready for the big jump that is really necessary in college. And uh, especially some of us that got set back in high school where we didn't really apply ourselves fully to our capabilities to prepare us for college. Sometimes we need that in-between variable to really help focus us in better so that we're able to adapt to to the large change. Some people find that taking a year off between college and high school can be very useful. Maybe, you know, where they do volunteer work or they actually going to the military first and learning some discipline and some team work and camaraderie ship and getting their personal skills developed better is sometimes even a better track. The military will actually help pay for your schooling.
0: Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts google play spotify iHeartRadio, and tune in if you've enjoyed this episode of the better call daddy show please feel free to review it at rate slash better call daddy add better call daddy podcast on ig at rena friedman watts on linkedin.com